My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. All right, welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Patrick Eads with Higher Standard Homes in Bozeman, Montana. Patrick, welcome to the show today. Uh, thanks for having me, Ben. Well, thanks for being here. So Patrick and I are uh, in the same Builder 20 group through the National Home Builders Association. So I know Patrick a little bit, but Patrick, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your business. Uh, well, I'm located in uh, Bozeman, Montana, and I own a company called Higher Standard Homes. Uh, we've been building homes here in Bozeman for a little over nine years now. And we started out doing one home our first year, three homes the next year. A couple of years after that, we were doing six homes a year and then just kind of continued to grow. Uh, last year we did, I think it was 28 homes. We've done now in total probably about 150 homes. Uh, we continue to grow that. But we actually project that here in 2023, we're going to start doing about 100 homes a year. Uh, so we continue to grow. Uh, I came non-traditionally into the industry. I had worked for a couple of large retailers through the years and uh, had opportunity to be on the new store side of things where I'd help open up new stores and locations. Um, but I'd always loved the construction industry and uh, decided nine years ago it was time to finally just get into it full time and uh, took it, took a huge risk, built that first house and kind of the rest is history that we're still writing. Awesome. So you, what, how did, what made you decide to get into the construction industry after having been in retail for so long? Well, I was kind of the goober kid that, you know, in middle school when I'd walk home from school, um, I had to walk through. The easiest way to get home was to go through a fence that came out behind a drugstore and, you know, every other kid's in there getting snacks and all that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> I was the one that would go in there and look at house plan magazines and then I'd buy the house plan magazines and I'd go home and I'd, I'd cut out the pictures of the houses that I thought were coolest. And I kind of had like a little binder with all those. And then I'd draw my own house plans. And uh, so I just always really had an interest in housing. Mm -hmm. Kind of a, a funny story of I've critiqued housing a lot through the years. Um, when I was a little kid, we moved around quite a bit. So we were always moving into a new house. And my family wasn't involved in the industry at all. Uh, but it was kind of a regular thing that we'd probably once a month go to open houses just for fun to look at what was out there. Hmm. And I was nine years old, and we went into this one house. The builder was there. The real estate agent was there. There's probably five or six couples that are looking at the house. And I'm downstairs, and I noticed that the they had hollow core doors in the house. And I tapped on the doors, and I, I hollered up to my mom at the top of the stairs. I'm like, hey, Mom, cheap doors. <laughs> so I, I think I was just born to do it. You know, it was something that I always looked at the aesthetics of a house, the quality of a house, what works, what doesn't. And I think a big part of it, though, for me is I enjoy seeing families get into a home because that's where people make memories. Mm. You know, I mean, that's where you raise your children. You know, you hear of the people that live in a house for 20 or 30 years and they maybe move away. And then, you know, every time they go back to that community that they left, they want to drive by that old house because they remember planting that tree and they look at it now and it's, you know, 30, 40 feet tall. Um, you know, they talk about putting in that swing set and the time that they broke their arm when they came flying off the swing. I mean, 
housing to me is so much about memories. And so if I can help yeah. people be part of that, that to me is one of the most special things that you can do. So just through the years, yeah, I, I went, kind of had this push towards the corporate path for so many years. That was kind of a, I don't want to blame my family. It's not blaming, but uh, that was sort of the expectation was, you know, you go the corporate route. But yeah. yet I've always felt I was an entrepreneur and, you know, I reached 40 years old and I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I'm not, I'm not living my best life and I'm not reaching my, my capacity in life of what I feel I can do. So, you know, do you wait till 50 to make that change? I was like, no, I got to make it now. And that's what I did. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that perspective too. I, I was born in Spokane, Washington. And that's where my wife's from, but I moved away when I was like three but when we go up there, I still go drive by that old house. I don't even have memories there, but it's just the one thing that I've like attached to in Spokane besides my wife and her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I've, I've lived in 27 homes. I think it is through the years. I've moved so much <laughs> and you know, a lot of them are right here in the community I live in now. I've been here for yeah. 18 years, uh, but yeah, when I go back to those other communities I've lived in through the years and I, I go driving back by it. It's, it's yeah. part of who I am. It's, you know, it's the relationships, you know, good and bad and all that, yeah. you know, so it's, it's a big part of life. Yeah. That's awesome. So what do you do outside of higher standard homes? Well, I, this is one of the things that I feel helps me be successful is, um, I work out pretty religiously, you know, and, and I, I will say that I failed at that for quite a period of time. Uh, but now I've gotten to the point where, you know, it's an appointment. It's in my calendar. I know it's at 10 o'clock and it's Monday through Friday. Obviously if I'm out of town, I can't do it. There's an occasion that, you know, something else takes priority over that, but, um, love going to the gym. I love being up in the mountains, you know, live in a phenomenally beautiful area. Uh, love to golf. And as much as anything, I love just being with my wife, my dogs, my daughter, you know, whatever we're doing, we can, we can make it fun. That's important to us. Awesome. I think a lot of us struggle to make that commitment to working out or spending time with family because I don't know, it probably happens in other industries too, but it seems like we just tend to get so sucked into our work and let it become all consuming. How have you found What have you done to be successful in making that commitment to, to exercising every day? You know, it, it's really a matter of building the right team around me and then setting the expectation with that team that they just know that that's the time that I'm not available. Um, now, it took a while to get there. You know, there was a point in my career, you know, in this industry that, man, it's everything had to go through me. And what I was doing, though, sometimes is I was saying, all right, it's all got to go through me. But sometimes I was letting other people dictate my schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have the electrician needs to do a walkthrough with me on every house that they do electrical on, which I'm not doing those anymore. I've got my project manager does that. But you know, back in the day when it's like, okay, we need to do an electrical walkthrough. Well, I know they're going to start somewhere between Monday and Wednesday. And then they call me up and like, hey, we need you to come over right now to do an electrical walkthrough with us. You know, I felt like, well, to keep this project moving, I need to stop everything that I'm doing. I need to run over there. Hmm. Well, I might have been planning on going to the gym right then. So it just kind of got to that point where every day there was always something coming up that yeah. was taking precedence and taking priority. And I had to coach the people that we worked with and just be like, look, you know, 
if you want to do a walkthrough with me on Wednesday, let's have that conversation on Monday or Tuesday about when we're going to do it. You know, I'm not going to just drop everything anymore. But what happens is, as you allow people to dictate your schedule for you, they're really Mm -hmm. good at doing it for you. But once you say, hey, that's not really how my business works, then they start to go, well, okay, yeah, we can work with your schedule and start to be, you know, I hate to say it, but it's being more considerate of us. Uh, So we just had to do kind of that coaching and developing. I had to take control of that. But a big part of it for me now is, you know, I've got a project manager who you've gotten to meet, Jay, who does really an amazing job. And there's so much of that that he gets to handle now that I can set a schedule and know that there's very, very seldom am I going to have to go jump into something right now. And in doing that, you know, usually I get done at the gym and I've got a, a text message or phone call or whatever that maybe I've got to return and that's fine. But it's stuff at this point now that maybe they want my input, but I didn't have to be there for it. I didn't have to make that decision right now. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I just had the chance to go up and, and see there in Bozeman a couple of two or three months ago. Yeah. At March. Yeah. That was, that was awesome. Beautiful area, beautiful homes. And uh, got to meet Jay, and he was a he's a rock star. If he ever wants to get out of the cold, tell tell him he's got a job down here in southern New Mexico. I know he told me you were trying to steal him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, dang it, where um, I love that that you're that you're able to work not just with your with your own team with Jay, but with your subs too, and and help them understand that expectation of you know I'm I'm taking this time that that's for me and. You got to deal with that. Not mm-hmm. let them run your schedule. Why? How come you pick ten a.m.? Is there something, some secret sauce to that? It's there's a particular class that's offered at that time. So I'm not one that's really good at like, oh, just go to the gym and you know I'll figure out my own workout. It's a group class, and you know if you go to the classes that are at you know five o'clock, six o'clock, seven in the morning, those classes are just packed with people. Um, I don't enjoy that as much, um, but this group that works out at 10 o'clock, there's usually just, you know, today there was five of us there, you know, and that's kind of a good number. Sometimes we've got seven or eight people there. Um, that's usually a big class would be seven or eight. And it just, it allows me to in the morning, I get so much done before the phone rings. So I start working every day at five 30. I mean, I, I say start working at five 30. I get out of bed at 5.30, and I'm at my, at my desk by, like, 5.35, you know, my home office. So it's like I get up, grab a glass of water, let the dogs outside, let them back in, and I'm at the desk. So I don't mind getting up early mm-hmm. it's as long as I'm getting to do those things that I want to in the middle of the day. So I'm able to get a lot of the desk stuff done, the stuff where you've got to just sit down and, you know, work through something for an hour or two without interruptions and something could take you four hours if you had even three or four phone calls in the middle because you're kind of start from scratch mentally. Uh, so I get all that stuff done, able to have everybody lined out that I need to line out. Then I leave for the gym at 940, and everybody kind of knows what the marching orders are for the day. Then if I get done at 11 o'clock and there's something that I've got to, you know, address, I can do it then. So it just it's worked out really well for my schedule and with my people that I work with. Yeah. Yeah, I love that early morning time to just, you know, a couple of hours of uninterrupted, no phone calls, no incoming emails, just get some stuff done. Yep. It's critical. 
I mean, if I don't have that couple of hours in the morning, it can really throw a day off. Then usually the things I need to do this morning that I didn't get to gets pushed to tomorrow morning. But then that, you know, then tomorrow morning is just packed. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I wanted to circle back a little bit on where we were at earlier, but I have to ask, you, you pointed out the, the cheap hollow corridors in that house when you were a kid. Do you use hollow corridors now? I refuse. <laughs> Absolutely refuse. I did a custom a while ago that they wanted hollow corridors, and I told them I won't build their house. Wow. And that's how hard. <clears throat> I, I've seen too many hollow corridors with holes in them. Mm-hmm. You know, the doorstop, the kid, the whatever. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. So it's, it's kind of, you know, there's a couple of things. You're going to get solid core doors with me and you're going to get an American flag on the front of your house. If you want hollow core doors or no flag, don't buy from me. There you go. I, I love that about, um, about having gotten to know you. You're very strict to your principles that are really important to you. And that, I mean, that's reflected in the name of your company, higher standard. That's your, you're going to stick to your standards and not change for other people. Well, when I was trying to name the company, I was really struggling with it. You know, a lot of people have their name, you know, their last name or something like that. Hmm. Or the last name like Ibes, you know, that people see it on paper and they can't pronounce it. Um, I just thought, well, that's, that's not a good one to go with. And I kept thinking about it is why am I choosing to be in this market? And what am I doing to try and differentiate myself? And it's like, we're going to hold ourselves to a higher standard every day. And that's uh, not just in the quality of the home that we build, but in the way that we represent ourselves, um, the way that we're going to be a part of our community, not just, you know, there's, there's some builders out there making a lot of money and they don't do anything within the community. We want to make sure that we're giving back as well. So to me, that's all part of that higher standard. It's, it's the way that we work with our subcontractors, uh, the way that we, you know, it's like I hate calling them our subcontractors or, you know, short, calling them subs. It just seems to me kind of demeaning. Um, they're all part of our team. You know, yeah. we can't do anything that we do without them. Um, you know, what are we doing to help them grow and to be better themselves? And that, to me, is all part of that higher standard. You know, right now I'm working on putting together a financial management class for our subcontractors' employees. And, you know, as I'm talking to the, the main guys of these companies who are, you know, for the most part successful and done well, they're like, wow, you know, we've never even heard of a general contractor wanting to do something like that. And I mean, I'm footing the bill for it. You know, it's going to be a dinner. I'm paying for to fly in a uh, speaker. You know, I'm paying for the event location. And it's going to, I've got a budget on this thing of $6,000. And they're like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, because you've got people working for you that aren't maybe being as successful in life as they could be, but if we can help give them those tools, you know, when they go to the gas station and they, you know, spend $15 in the morning and they go and they spend $15 and, you know, for lunch, then they go spend $15, you know, picking up beer and smokes and, and whatever else on the way home. And then they go, well, we don't have any money to pay for the rent. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, wait, if we can help them put some of this in perspective, now, I'm not naive enough to think that we're just going to go change everybody's eating habits and, and their, I'm going to call them bad habits. Uh, yeah. But if we can get some people to see that path in life where when I talk with some of these guys, they're like, yeah, you know, I just don't know where I'm going to be in five years. You know, maybe they don't have more than a high school education. They're working in the trades, but they don't see where this can go. 
And I worry a little bit that their bosses don't want them to see where they can go. So mm -hmm. I, I, I haven't gotten a lot of resistance on that yet. Not much has been said, but I want to help these people see like, hey, you know, I can buy a house. I can yeah. have the money to buy a car that doesn't break down once a week that prevents me from getting to work. So I got to pay for the repair and I've got to miss a day's worth of work, which then affects their employer's ability to produce as well. So we're really trying to see it now is like, what can we do to really grow everybody um, that's, you know, on any step of the ladder that we work it within. Yeah. I love that. You know, you, you, like you said, you don't have to change their habits. Just go buy the sodas from the grocery store, uh, you know, at the start of the week and put them in the fridge for that, you know, the night before and you save at least half, if not more with that, you know, with just a minor tweak to your, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got guys that they go out to lunch every single day and they go to a place yeah. that, you know, entree is sixteen ninety five, and you know, by the time they get, you know, iced tea or soda and tip or whatever, you know, they got 25 bucks into lunch yeah. every day. That's $125 a week. Then, yeah, you throw in the gas station stuff in the morning and the evening. It's, it's a lot of money. You know, some of these guys are throwing away you know, five to $10,000 a year on some things that they could just make some simple changes on. And, uh, you know, some of these are things that I kind of were instilled in me by my dad through the years. My dad used to run a warehouse and he shares a story of <clears throat> one day. So he always, even though he was a guy that ran the warehouse, he's the guy making the most money in the building. And uh, he brought his lunch to work with him almost every single day. You know, he'd make a sandwich, some chips, whatever it was he wanted to take with him, <clears throat> And, he liked to sit in the break room with the employees and they have, you know, hundreds of employees. Mm -hmm. He'd sit in there. He thought that was a great opportunity to get to know people. And one time he's sitting in there, one of the guys that's sitting next to him realized that my dad was eating moldy bread sandwich. <laughs> the, the bread had mold on it. And, wow. and the guy's like, John, you know, you're eating this sandwich that has mold on it. And uh, he's like, yeah, money's tight. He says, I'm trying to save money. And my dad finished the sandwich. He didn't oh. know originally they had mold on it, <laughs> but kind of as a statement, he's like, I'm not going to, you know, cause they had vending machines and all that. He, he could have gone and put five, six bucks into a vending machine and gotten a vending machine sandwich and whatever else, but yeah, oh, he wasn't going to do that. Or they had what they called the roach coaches, you know, the, mm -hmm. now we just call them food trucks, but you know, back in the day, they go to job sites, warehouses and stuff like that. And, you know, go out and get a hamburger, hot dog, you know, whatever quick type food was presented there. He made a point out of that. He was going to eat that sandwich right in front of everybody. And I think he actually got respect from people for that, that you know, the way he oh, yeah. managed himself. Um, I think that's important. Show people how you manage yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So that's a great story. I love that. That reflects a lot of, of what I admire in you and, you know, where you come from with, with higher standards and, and, and uh, not not bending your standards. So when you first got your home business, home building business started, you you didn't have a, any real formal education in construction. Uh, didn't have a lot of on the job site experience necessarily, which to some people might seem like a disadvantage. I kind of feel like in talking with you that that's probably an advantage because you weren't sucked into. I got to be the main guy on the job site every day you had to lean on experts and in, in their individual trade fields and 
and kind of develop a team that way. Is that, is that right? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, I can't frame a house. I can't side a house. I can't roof it. I can't do trim on it. You know, or you have the more skilled trades of electrical plumbing, HVAC, stuff like that. I can't do any of those things. You know, I could probably try and find a way to muddle my way through it, but I would fail. And over the years, I've had, on occasion, somebody will say to me, well, how can you be a general contractor and build houses when you don't even know how to build a house? And I said, do you ever fly Delta? And they're like, well, yeah. You know, or they say, well, I don't fly Delta. I fly American. I'm like, I don't care what airline you fly. I said, do you think the guy running that company can fly that plane? I can almost guarantee you they can you know, but what they know how to do is run a business and they know how to grow people, lead people, you know, all those things. It's, it's all about putting the right pieces into place. So the reality of it is, is when I started this business nine years ago, I had a neighbor of mine, this, you know, this was kind of coming out of the recession, you know, house building well, was just starting to pick up a little bit back then. And uh, this neighbor of mine, he was a general contractor, but he wasn't building anything at that point in time. He didn't have the money to build it himself didn't have an investor behind him or anything that was, uh, he was working with. And so I told him, I'm like, hey, you know, here's my house, here's your house, and the lot next door is available for sale for $33,000. I said, what do you think if I buy that lot? You general contract it. So kind of at the beginning, I was seeing this as, well, maybe I'm just the investor. You know, maybe I'm investing, they build the house, you know, we figure out what our profit distribution is going to be between us. And... So, you know, seemed like a decent enough arrangement. I, I still had a full-time job. And uh, what I found pretty quickly was that, you know, and this kind of goes back to the naming of the business as well. His standard wasn't what mine was. Mm-hmm. So when the house is done in his mind and I'm walking through going, this is unacceptable, that's unacceptable. You know, the paint job was terrible. And so what I ended up doing is, you know, I'm over there in the evenings and that weekend, I'm fixing the paint job. And what he stated to me was, he says, Patrick, he says, it's a new home. Most people have never had a new home. They're just going to be happy to have a new home. So they aren't even going to care what the paint looks like. And I'm like, I care what the paint looks like. Yeah. At that point, we'd already started another home. So I was kind of committed to him. Um, so we finished that house. And then I was talking with a friend of mine that's a real estate agent. Well, I mean, she is my real estate agent at this point. And she's like, oh, there's this other guy. You know, maybe he'd be a good person to work with. And he had better standards, but it would take him a year to build a basic house. He was a guy that wanted to do everything himself. He didn't know how to do a schedule. And so then I'm looking. So the first guy has no standard. And the second guy doesn't know how to run a business. And I'm like, I'm a business person. That's what I am. I I know how to schedule. I know how to plan. I know how to coordinate. I know how to develop and grow people. So then I started to say, like, well, maybe I ought to just do this. So I I figured I kind of paid for my education by what they got paid for doing these projects with me. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching, and I'm like, you know, none of this stuff is rocket science. You find the right people that know what they do, and you let them do their job. And then over time, I've learned a lot more, you know, I mean, you start looking at code and, you know, what to look for that the framer maybe missed, it's going to get called out on an inspection. And so I've learned a lot of that stuff, Um, you know, but kind of, I hate to say it, but a lot of what I learned was, you know, the inspectors from the city would come on site and they'd be like, well, you got to have a strap here, you got to this and you got to that. And I asked a ton of questions. Hmm. And 
at one point I asked one of the inspectors, he was kind of the main guy that would do inspections in a, on the homes that we were doing. I said, I said, you know, does it kind of bother you when you got to come to one of my job sites and I'm asking you to teach me? He says, no, it doesn't bother me because you want to learn. He says, there's guys that he works with that have been general contractors for years. They were tradesmen at some point. You know, a lot of times it's somebody who's in a trade when they become a general contractor and he goes, they have no interest in learning. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. So he appreciated that I wanted to learn. And so now I feel that we've developed the reputation through the years that when an inspector comes on our job site, we're tight. You know, they're, they're happy to see that they have an inspection on one of our jobs because they know it's probably their shortest inspection that day. Because they're yeah. going to come in and go, yep, everything's right. It's dead on the way it's supposed to be. But part of that was I had to train our subs on some of those codes. And sometimes it was them going like, oh, we'll see if we can get away without putting this tie-down strap on or something like that. And now they just do it because they know that they have to. Yeah. Or we're going to call them out on it. Or, or maybe it's the inspector catches it and we don't. You know, we're going to have a conversation like, you know, what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Yeah. Um, so just over time, it's evolved into what it's been. And our subcontractors, what I find is they appreciate more now than ever that I'm a business person first. Mm-hmm. They appreciate that I know how to run the business. I know, you know, hey, here's an important thing. I know how to get them paid. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of general contractors don't know how to get their guys paid in time. They're so busy framing, siding, roofing, doing whatever that trade is that those invoices sit there. And their guys aren't getting paid. You know, we have a pay schedule and they know they're going to get paid on that schedule every single time without fail. We're not going to make them play games to get paid, anything like that. We just do it. We get them taken care of. So I would say if you ask, and I know you got to speak with some of my subcontractors, I think they appreciate the way we run the business. Yeah. There's a lot of great builders out there that aren't great business people. But the subcontractors want to work with a great business person. So did that take a long time? Were, were you having to kind of cycle through different con- subcontractors and suppliers to find people that wanted to operate that way? Or was it just you working with the same people and helping them to evolve to get to the point um, you're at today? You know, a little bit of both. You know, you look at my plumber. He's been with us. He was not our original plumber. You know, the plumber that we had to start with was a guy that um, nobody liked being around him. He was just miserable. You know, he'd go to the bar for lunch. He came back. I mean, not trying to be crude on your podcast, but, you know, he's the guy that would fart in the crawl space and think it was funny, you know, when there's other guys down there working. (laughs) So nobody desired to be around him at all. And it's like, okay, so we built a team of people that I feel mirror my values Mm -hmm. and that mirror my work ethic and want to be a part of something like we are. Um, you know, I think that our guys, you know, when we go out and we buy t-shirts with our logo on it, stuff like that, like guys want them because they want to represent this brand that we have. And so to me, that's a real, I mean, it's a real sense of pride for me that people they're proud of being part of the team. Um, but yeah, it took a while. I mean, we had some guys that we just flat out, we didn't feel that they worked well with us or, you know, the guy that sends me an invoice at five o'clock on a Friday and calls me at seven and says, I'm coming to your house to get a check now. You know, it's one of those deals where, you know, if I have a guy that's really in a pinch for some reason and I can help him out financially, I'm probably going to try and find a way to do it. But if it's because of your lifestyle choices that you're in that position, I don't want you on my team Yeah, because your lifestyle choices don't represent the values of my business. So I got to let you go. 
you know, when we find that we've got, you know, two roofers up on the roof, this is the same guy's asking for money. You know, as soon as we let them go, we find out they're up smoking weed up on the roof of one of the houses that we were doing, you know? So, so we really found a very, I'm going to call it a clean cut team that we have now that people like being around when our buyers show up on the job site, you know, the comments that we get back are like, man, you got a really great team. You know, they're respectful. They talk well. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're, I guess it's really along those lines of that being respectful, but you know, there's not a lot of trash talk. It's not a bunch of negative music. Um, it's people that are there to work, do a good job. And we value and appreciate them for doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Do do you feel like their core, your core values transfer into them and, and who they hire so that the people that your subs are hiring are basically are reflecting your company as well? Yeah, but I think that's naturally that we've found the right people and they've always wanted to find people that represent them, mm-hmm. you know, that represent them in a positive way. You know, one of the coolest things, and this happened a couple of years ago and it was with our landscapers. We're just finishing up this house. The landscapers are there. And I see one of the guys, it was sort of a lead, you know, one of the guys that had been around for a while walking up to our job site and he had some rookie with him. And he, he I, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't know I was there because I was actually parked the next street over. And I hear this employee say to the new guy, and he's like, hey, see that sign over there? It says higher standard homes. They expect us to achieve a higher standard on everything that we do. And I was like, that's freaking cool. So here it is. We have not the owner of the company, but yeah. one of his employees. It's been around a little while telling another employee, like, look, when we're on this job, we don't cut a single corner, you know, and hopefully our people aren't cutting corners anyways. You know, right. we've had people that have cut corners and we've let them go because we, we find out about it and we're like, no, sorry, you got to go. And um, so we, we've really got good people. I'll, I'll give you an example. We had an HVAC contractor that we were using. And when we had to start doing duct tightness testing back a couple of years ago, it wasn't something we'd always had to do. Mm-hmm. And that was going to kick in and become a requirement as of like January 1st or whatever year. So it was around October. I thought, well, I'm going to have a duct tightness test done just to see what we come in at, you know, when there's no testing being done. The score was horrendous. And I called the owner of the company up and I said, hey, JJ, I said, you know, this is coming up. And I decided to have a test done just to see where we came in at. What's our baseline? You know, where are we starting yeah. at with this? And his response to me instantaneously was, if I'd known you were going to do a duct tightness test, we would have done a better job. And I'm just like, oh, wow. So if you look at the culture that he'd established within his business, it was do the bare minimum. We'll start doing a good job January 1st is what we're going to do. And I'm like, wow, that is just so far from acceptable. So, you know, we let them go. They've, called me many times wanting to get my business back, say, oh, we do a good job now. And I'm like, you're doing a good job because somebody's going to, you know, because the city requires, but yeah. are you doing a good job? Because that's one of your core values is do the right thing every time. Yeah. You know, it's that saying of do the right thing when nobody's looking. That's the definition of integrity. Yeah. And that is something that has always really been very big a part of my life is that you got to do the right thing when nobody's looking. Yeah. Yeah, don't cut corners just because somebody might not catch you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Patrick, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing our industry today? 
I think it's bringing qualified people. I say qualified people. We need people to come into the industry to become qualified. The training aspect, <clears throat> you know, we can talk the economic side of lumber pricing and all that. Um, you know, those things over time are going to get themselves figured out, I think. Uh, maybe not as soon as we'd like, but, you know, in our industry today, you know, when you look at electricians, you look at the average age of an electrician or a plumber, that age just keeps going up. And when they retire, we don't have the young blood that's coming back into the industry. And we're really going to be paying the price for that here down the road. <clears throat> I'm a college graduate myself. I believe you are, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but I will also say that we are, as a society, pushing kids to go to college and acquiring a lot of times a tremendous amount of debt. And they're not college kids. And I don't mean that because they're not intelligent, they're not smart, and that they can't be successful on a college campus. But it's not what they really want to be doing. You know, I look at, for me, a little bit different, but, you know, college graduate, sort of felt this familial expectation that I do the corporate life. You know, my dad worked for one company for 35 years or something wow. like that. You know, in today's society, we don't see that at all. You know, people are, you know, two years here, a year there, four years there. Um, so I kind of grew up feeling that that was what I needed to do. Um, but then I was like, no, wait, but I think I could have skipped college and gone and started doing this. And I would have had just as great of a life as what I feel that I've had so far. So to take and get these kids going there, acquiring all this debt, and then they end up in the trades, or well, I've got to make my college education pay for itself. So I, I have to remain as an engineer or a writer or, you know, theater major or whatever it is that they choose to do in college. Yeah. Go out and make a great living in the trades and the money is there. Yeah. I've got a cider. He's 25 years old and he's probably making 300,000 or so a year. If I had to guess just from the conversations, you know, until somebody tells you what their tax bracket is, you can get a pretty good idea of what they're making yeah. kind of thing. So, you know, 25 years old, he's been working for me since he was 20, I would say, and he's just killing it out there. Um, yeah. So the money's there. So, you know, he's making more money than just about any college graduate that I know. Um, so if we get people to go, hey, this is a really viable industry to get in. And it doesn't mean that you've got to go and grab a hammer and swing a hammer for 40 years. Yeah. Maybe they're swinging a hammer for five years, seven years, eight years, whatever. And then you're working for somebody else. Then they go build their own team. They go out as, you know, running their own framing crew. And they may have to lead that crew for a while. But then you find a good lead that then starts to take over some of that day-to-day -day with the with the crew. And then you're becoming the, the salesperson in the business. You know, you're going on, you're, you're working with the general contractors and you're overseeing the office. So it's like any business, you have to grow it. So you don't necessarily have to be the tradesman forever. Where the real success comes is, you know, you can hopefully be a business owner yourself. Yep. So we've got to change this mentality in our country. You know, student loan debt over a trillion dollars, you know, people that they, well, they can't afford to buy a house because they have all the student loan debt. It, it's crippling our nation because of the societal expectation. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for the construction industry? It kind of ties back to the lack of labor, but there's going to have to become, you know, the Ford assembly line, you know, um, mm -hmm. We're going to see more, you know, pre-built wall panels, 
um, those types of things. I think over time, you know, we may maybe seeing changes in materials. You know, I think we're going to uh, start to see more engineer type materials. You know, are we going to end up with plastic bottle uh, framing materials at some point? I don't, you know, I don't know, but I think we might start to see some of those things. Uh, you know, as we look at lumber prices right now, I mean, they're through the roof and I don't know that we're going to see the same prices ever again that we saw, you know, last April when they really reached their lowest point of all time. Um, so we're, we're going to see some of those things change. We're going to, we're going to have to become a more automated industry to be able to keep up with the housing demand. You know, one of the big things that's pushing pricing up nationally right now is the fact that there's so much demand. <clears throat> we have, our, our population continues to grow, but we've got fewer people there to build those homes. So automation is what's going to have to happen to, to get to having a more stable housing environment that meets the needs of our country. You know, we're one of the few countries that's actually still growing in population. Um, there's a lot of countries yeah. that are seeing negative population growth right now. You've got cities in Europe that, I mean, they're like sh basically like shutting down the whole city. We're not seeing that here. So yeah. we're going to have to adjust. Yeah. Uh, well, Patrick, what is the best advice you've ever received throughout your career? Oh, best advice. That's a tough one. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a single piece of advice that somebody's like put out there, you know, single, you know, sentence statement conversation I had with anybody. Um, but I, I think it goes back. I mean, I got to give credit to my parents in this, you know, it was, it was that work ethic that was instilled in me. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it's kind of that, the, the advice is go out there and work hard and you can do it. Um, but then, you know, along with that, you've got to work smart. You know, there's a lot of guys know how to work harder. A lot of gals know how to work harder, but be spinning their wheels and not getting anywhere. So I think it's say, you know, it's like, Hey, be willing to get up early, go out there, get the work done, but make sure that you're always remaining introspective and thinking of, you know, what, what can I do differently? How can I make this better? How can I improve the process? What can I do to, you know, like in our industry, how can you build a house that little bit faster, but not give up the quality? Um, you know, a lot of that's just scheduling, planning, that type of thing. And, um, so that, I know that doesn't answer it directly or, you know, in a concise way, but that's, that's what really I feel has gotten me to where I am today. Yeah, that's all great advice. Um, who who have you learned the most from throughout your career? You know, I'd say in the industry, there's really not any one person. Um, you know, there's a group of individuals. I mean, like, you know, within our Builder 20 group, it's great that, you know, we can call upon each other and, and seek input on things. Um, but, again, I think it kind of goes back to, you know, my family, you know, the upbringing that I have. Um that those individuals within my family helped me to get to where I am. Um, and it wasn't like about building a house. It was about building a life. It was about, you know, what allows you to be successful in one industry can help you be successful in another. Like for me, coming from outside the industry, I'm a business person. I feel that whether I'm building houses, building boats, running a retail environment, um, you know, running city hall, you know, I, I think that a lot of those things can, they're, they're transferable skills, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, Patrick, if you could 
uh, go back to your, uh, say, 35-year-old self, you know, working in corporate America, but considering this jump to the construction industry, what kind of advice would you would you give yourself? Do it now. Don't wait. Make it happen. <clears throat> you know, yeah, I was technically 41 when I made the decision to, to make that transition. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of look back and I go, gosh, where could I be today if I'd started six years earlier? You know, if I look at, if I look at the trajectory of growth that we've had, Mm-hmm. And I see that, you know, wow, we've done this much in nine years. What could I have done if I'd been doing this for 15 years? Yeah. You know, because it, it grows exponentially every year. So, you know, rather than having a goal in a couple of years of doing 100 units a year, maybe 500 that we'd be aiming for, you know. And it's not that I'm old, but I'm at a point where there's a few other things in my life that I do want to have start to take more of a priority for me here in the next, you know, five to 10 years. So I may not continue to grow that. I may choose to not. I have other, mm-hmm. let's say, more altruistic type things that I desire to do and be involved in that may take me away from being really focused on growing a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, man, start at 35. If you make that decision, yeah. if, you, if you think today you want to do it, go do it. Chase it, you know. No better you- time to start than now. When you were making that decision, was was there a lot of pushback from people saying, ah, don't leave your career, you're making good money, don't... How did, how did yeah. you deal with that? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that in the decision to do it, um, I didn't necessarily throw it out for a lot of people's input, but I know as I was talking with family again, you know, my dad coming from a, a very corporate, you know, type position for so many years, you know, it wasn't necessarily that people were pushing back on me, but it was that expectation I had felt was put on me for years. You know, you go work for somebody else, you know, you've got a good medical plan, you've got a 401k, you've got vacation time and you've got all those things. So there's a sense of security that you can get from working for somebody else. But I also look at it as every day when I get up, I can decide how much or how little I want to do today. Now, due to the nature of the beast that I've created, geez, I've got quite a bit to do. But you know what? Corporate America, I worked every bit as many hours as I do now. But at the end of the day, I've also got the freedom that, like, when we take off next week for two and a half weeks, I could never do that in corporate America. They wouldn't let me. It just isn't a possibility. So there's a great degree of freedom that can come from running your own program or business. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also have to earn it. It doesn't just happen because you go do your own business. And I see a lot of people that start their own business and they right away, it's like, oh, well, I'm making good money. So I'm going to go buy a boat. I'm going to go buy, you know, here, everybody wants to own a snowmobile or a sled and and they want to buy the big jacked up truck and all those kinds of things. But then they can't grow their business because they don't have the funds to do it. Um, So, yeah, I had, I would say it was more internal pushback, you know, am I willing to leave this security? And by golly, I needed to. And I'm so much happier now than I was working in that other environment yeah that's awesome well patrick how can people get a hold of you and and follow what you and higher standard homes are doing uh well we do we're on uh facebook is probably the most visible of the social media platforms we do have an instagram page we don't really do a whole lot about it uh or a whole lot on it uh, but if you go on our uh, uh or our website which is just higherstandardhomes.com uh, my contact information is on there. 
if somebody wanted to get a hold of me, or you can just see what it is that we're doing. Um, so, yeah, somebody can look me up pretty easily, I think. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your story with me, and and uh, really appreciate learning more about you and your background. Well, very good, Ben. I've enjoyed it, and uh, anytime you need me, you know, you can call. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope that you've learned something from our guest today. The Ben Beard Show is sponsored by Redcliffe Homes. The purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in. If you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction, I'd love to hear it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The Ben Beard Show.